Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Cat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 95, Are They the New Us? This week we're discussing season 4, episode 19 of Buffy, New Moon Rising, and series 7, episode 2 of Doctor Who, Dinosaurs on a Spaceship. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. Okay. New Moon Rising. Um, mm-hmm. Oz is back, which uh, I was... <laughs> Temporarily. Temporarily. Yes, he kind of comes and goes rather quickly. Um, yeah. But I was... W- were you expect? Well... I was not expecting it other than when I was made aware of the title. Um, sure. It, it, that kind of, as it's supposed to, I guess, kind of clues you in. And yeah. I wasn't 100% sure, but it was like, hmm, that's, you know. Yeah. It certainly puts you in mind of, um, of him. Well, and, so. and I, actually, yeah, that's a good point. Because, like, I, I was thinking about it after we discuss the title mm-hmm. um briefly discussed is the wrong word to use after i mentioned you what the title, the title was yeah. <laughs> um which i probably didn't have to do because you're so much better at noticing the titles well, than i am anyway I always to begin look with. at the titles so i yeah. certainly would have noticed it like one way or the other right so um but anyway one of the things i was thinking about was like oh interesting i don't think i ever caught this before but the fact is it's new moon rising and of course a new moon is invisible you don't see a new moon like when you if you think about like this moon cycle new moon means it's completely encased in shadow you don't see it it's full moon that is the dangerous one for werewolf you know stories right (laughs) um new moon is actually kind of the opposite of that and so i was i was trying to think i was thinking about that a little bit like i mean and then there's also sort of the idea of new moon new month new Mm -hmm. you know part of my life so there's sort of like the whole willow part to that as well so like like there is some interesting things i think there and i don't think we need to spend too much time just on the title but it, it like the fact that I was pointing it out to you, I guess, just made me think like, oh, there's actually we've noticed titles before sometimes have sort of multiple meanings and and sort of different connotations and stuff. And I, I this was one I had never really thought of. I'd always just sort of thought of it straightforwardly as, oh yes, moon, you know, Oz, whatever, blah blah blah. But yeah, because it's the new moon, there's there's some different sort of takes on that a bit. Right. Yeah, that hadn't occurred to I cuz my kind of thought was like more of what you said about Willow and her um like new moon like a new chapter in her life, you know, this yep. new relationship that she's in, you know, a time of transition and things like that. But I hadn't thought about that with just like what is a new moon and the fact that you know, if the new moon is the opposite of the full moon and we do get oz in this episode who is able to go outside you know under the influence of the full moon and not change like so the fact that his relationship to his kind of affliction is different um Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so that's interesting um yeah but i wasn't sitting uh 
in the in the season waiting for him to come back necessarily so right. that definitely came as a surprise um and i yeah did did you know that he comes back at all like i don't think i did um okay. i don't know whether Good. i ever thought about it or not but i mean i think i knew he wasn't i knew it was like him leaving permanently um like i knew mm-hmm. this wasn't just okay he's going to be gone for a couple weeks and then come back like i knew okay the character's not really gonna be around much but like i think i thought like no seth green's kind of moved on so i expected Mm -hmm. that maybe that was the last that we would see um yeah so yeah cool yeah so a nice little surprise it is um and you know uh Although pleasant surprise for the audience, but kind of awkward when he first shows up and, um, you know, everyone's sort of kicking their heels and not really knowing what to... And you kind of... It makes you realize um, that everyone kind of... Like, even though we know enough of Oz's side to, like, not despise him, you know, for what happened, you know, there's also the sense that, you know... He left under kind of, you know, dodgy circumstances, like knowing like he'd pretty much betrayed Willow Um, and everyone kind of knows it. So there's that awkwardness of, you know, he used to be part of the group, but he's not anymore. And everyone kind of knows what happened, but, you know, don't really want to talk about it. Um. Which I hadn't really thought about before. Like, you would just think of Willow and Oz's relationship as kind of their private thing. But, you know, mm. it's kind of different when there's the whole group right there. Yeah. Um, yep. And... Well... No, go Sorry, ahead. go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Um, well, so we might as well, like, go into... A little bit of the backstory of what he's been doing ever since he left um yeah yeah well and actually what i was gonna say was like i was really hoping that the 10 months reference in doctor who worked out the same way but in looking at the timing i think he's actually only been gone like six months maybe or something like that so it's it's from like november to um well, I think this is like either late March or early May or mm-hmm. s- something like that, that this episode airs. And, and, you know, I mean, the episode date isn't always exactly the date, like, you know, but we see Halloween is usually right about the time of Halloween and Christmas yeah. is right about the time of Christmas and that. So like, it's usually pretty close yeah. um, to the time there. So um, when you think about like, like you were saying, you know, talk about his backstory and stuff you know, what he's been doing this whole time. Like, it's not a super long time. Like, we're not, right. obviously, it's same season, so we're not talking years. But we're, I mean, six months to travel the world sounds awesome. Like, I mean, I'd love to do it. But then, like, it's one of those things that I feel like when you're doing it, like, when it's done, it feels like it would be done in a flash kind of thing as well. Well, and there is this kind of sense of, like, <sighs> Throughout the whole thing, and even in the end, you know, to jump forward to the end, when they kind of conclude, you know, that it doesn't matter whether Willow 
chooses him, you know, that he still can't totally trust his own self-control, I guess. Um, yeah. it, there is yeah. this sense, like even in the beginning when he's telling her this stuff, it, it's kind of that a little too good to be true kind mm-hmm. of thing to it. And th- I think the timing is a big part of that because it's like, okay, yeah, six months is, you know, kind of a long time, but really not that long at all. Like, mm-hmm. like it's almost like you could guess, like before he starts having trouble controlling his transformation, you could kind of think, well, you know, you did only work at it for six months. <laughs> like, yeah. like and- we're not talking about like the fact that, you know, what he achieved while great isn't a cure. It's a, you know, it's therapeutic. It's like keeping it in remission, you know, it keeps it under control, but it doesn't give him, it doesn't mean that he doesn't have to worry about it anymore. It's like he's the addict who has to constantly battle with his own, you know, impulses and stuff. Um, yep. and even, I mean, even more so than that, like it, it's like a thing which is almost, almost beyond his control at all. So yeah. the fact it, so I kind of like that, like the fact that he's, it's almost like he's a little bit too excited. Like he figured mm-hmm. out like, Oh, look, I got, you know, these, you know, meditation and breathing techniques and I'm very Zen and I have my charms and my beads and stuff yeah. and look at how you know, kind of master of myself I am. And he's just sort of picked up his stuff and run right back because this is great, you know? Like, even though it's Oz and he's not excitable, like, I can think the fact that he's back after only six months means you can kind of see how sort of excited he is about it. And maybe a little prematurely excited. And, yeah, and, but, like, we get the idea that he'd been... He spent the mo- most time in Tibet, you know, as opposed to anywhere else. But that doesn't tell you how much time he actually right, spent right, there. Like, right. like he, he could have been there two nights and everywhere else just one night. Right. Like, you know what I mean? Like, he could have been a different yeah. place every night, except there he stayed two nights. Right. So, Maybe it took him five months to even get to Tibet. Now he got somewhere that actually is helping him yeah. and he's picked up and he run spends, right home. Yeah. Yeah. A couple weeks max and then comes right back yeah like we don't we don't honestly know you know how long that is and that's you know it it also could be that he spent four of the months there like we one yeah. way or the other i know. think i think to your point is that he even says he goes i shouldn't have come back now i just thought i'd changed and mm. and it's that idea of we always we always think i mean isn't that just sort of the whole like learning something new it's like ooh, i'm so enlightened about this thing that i didn't know about you know a month ago yeah and and then but it's always the case like every time that happens it's always the case that the more you learn the more there is to learn about it so it's like i think that's just part of a natural sort of you know part of the human learning experience is that you do sort of go through those phases of like well now i'm you know, I'm the big man on campus. I, you know, mm-hmm. I know all this stuff. Oh, wait, there's actually more to learn about it. <laughs> like, well, you know, and like and... he, he does learn something, but then that learning kind of shows, uh, his lack of understanding of it in the first place, because right. 
it's like, okay, well, you've now mastered the ability to not change under the influence of the full moon, but it's become so enmeshed with your emotional control or lack thereof that now whenever you get just sort of angry enough, you know, you're going to trigger a transformation like in the middle of the day, you know, which Mm -hmm. is what happens with Tara, which never used to happen. You know, it used to be like a totally physical response, you know, which had to do with the phase of the moon. Now, you know, it has to do with your emotional state. Right. So, you know, which maybe it always did in in the first place. And but it's just like everything you think you kind of have it figured out. And then there's this kind of either another layer or an unintended consequence, you know, or. Yeah. uh, You know, so you may have kind of figured out certain things, but found that there are whole other complications that he didn't even consider. Well, then, right. We didn't get any sort of thing about like the pain response and stuff before, but there is that sense of like, okay, if you eliminate like the built-in sort of safety valve that releases, Mm -hmm. you you know, consider it like sort of like pressure and a steam vent kind of thing. Like if, if there's this, valve once a month that sort of releases that and right. and lets it out but then like you can go back to being normal the rest of the month like isn't that better because because it's predictable because it's controllable whereas right. like now it's you're trying to suppress control. it well you're suppressing it constantly so at some point it's just gonna yeah get to be too much like it does here and there's also the sense of it of like you know, okay, he he was able to recreate the experiment in the lab and get it working mm-hmm. well there, but then you take, you know, it out into the real world mm-hmm. and suddenly there's other factors and things that you weren't expecting, yeah. you know, that, like, my ex-girlfriend fell in love with another woman. <laughs> like, right. you know, that you're just not totally, you're completely unprepared for. Um, so... So I think, yeah, there's all of those kind of things that, you know, again, like as much as we can like Oz and whatever, like there is a certain sort of naivete there to to just think that like, oh, this thing that, you know, presumably in the Buffyverse, you know, werewolves have been around a long time and nobody in, you know, say thousands of years has figured out how to control it. Right. extremely well so like suddenly oz is going to do it in six months right like you know what i mean like that's that's sort of the the thing that we're looking at here i think um so yeah uh i i do have so sticking with the end okay <laughs> we didn't we didn't really talk much about sort of the pre-history the i i don't yeah but sticking with the end i don't i always sort of disliked the way that they talk about when Willow and Oz are in the van and mm-hmm. talk about like Willow making him angry. Mm. And I'm like, that's a little unfair to Willow because mm. this is, this is Oz being angry, certainly, but like Willow has not done anything wrong in right. any of this situation. And I, I'm always right. frustrated and I don't know how to right. take that it. one like, line about like, well, you'll never do that again. Like, you know yeah like i always feel like you know she she um 
oh yeah what what is it she she's like oh i made you angry and then yeah he he says that right he uh you know oh yeah never do that again i'm trying to find it in my notes exactly what that exchange is um i thought i had it but maybe i don't but yeah i mean it's basically that she kind of she kind of says it it's my fault i made you angry like it was yeah and yeah and it kind of does put the responsibility on her like you know yeah like as if it would be her responsibility to be a you know keep him calm all the time and never upset him and you know right and so i don't know i anyway like that part always sort of irritated me because it's like, why, why is Willow the one sort of apologizing there? Um, and I don't right. like, I don't know how to quite take that. Like if that's mm-hmm. to show like that Willow has, because one of the things that we've talked about already with Willow and Tara mm-hmm. is like how Willow's sort of the confident one now. Mm-hmm. Right. And the, and, and Tara is more of like the old Willow and right. like, so is this sort of Willow reverting? Like, is it almost, is it almost like her being less confident and not doing whatever? Or is it just like poor writing? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. is it just like they're not really thinking as deeply as they should about how the characters and their interaction and whether or not it actually is Willow's right. fault? Like, I, I, I'm kind of disappointed in Oz in that moment. To, like, he should have said, no, obviously it's not your fault. But then he kind of accepts her guilt. and right like adds to it right doesn't doesn't (laughs) contradict it yeah so i don't know yeah i mean i'm kind of inclined to say that that's just a misfire in the writing that like yeah i don't think they mean it to be that it's willow's fault or that like they blame her for that you know but i i think what they're trying to say are we about the, to get some crit the, fic here. The arthurial intention. Yeah, here's some here's my crit fic. I think what they're trying to say is that it would be impossible for them to live as a couple and not get into any sort of high emotional moment that would yeah. trigger it. You know, now I do think because it's being framed as Oz getting upset and angry about Willow. It sounds like it comes across more like that's her fault than well, it, and it, than it, they mean it to. I think. Well, and it's it's that yeah you you know I made you angry yeah and like oh you'll never make me angry again. Well, it's yeah yeah it's it, it's again it's sort of the the uh yeah you know like if, shifting if only, a blame yeah. you know to Willow rather than Oz saying i'll never get angry at you again like that would like i would feel better about that sort of phrasing than you know yeah 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 no i i mean i guess you could see it though as if you want to read it though as the as the willow has grown and this is her kind of regressing a bit then that's kind of a a bit of support for her decision at the end you know to to stick with Tara instead of Oz. That, like, I don't know that... I wouldn't go so far as to say that Oz and Willow had an unhealthy relationship or that he was bad for her, necessarily. But um, but if you want to kind of read it as 
she has grown in confidence since that relationship ended and that maybe mm. that's a good thing and that she shouldn't be going back to yeah you know and uh, you know a uh, a way of being that she's grown out of i guess mm -hmm. um so yeah. you could kind of take it that way too that she's sort of reverting back into the willow who kind of isn't there anymore but this is more how she feels comfortable relating to oz Mm. yeah which i again i wouldn't blame him for like he was never a you know oz was never the kind of like chauvinistic anything like he's so mild so i don't think he ever like demanded that of her in any way right um yeah. but it may just be a part of how it may just be that she relates to Tara more as an equal in some ways. I don't know. Yeah. And I don't know yeah, then I, if like, okay, if you're in the psychology of the character, is that Willow's mistake or is that the writer's mistake? Who's in the head of Willow, you know, kind of, right. You know, what's the difference between the two? Right. Um, yeah. And maybe we don't need to get, any further down than, than that. But I did want to at least bring that up. Um, but I do like, so, you know, still talking about the end there when they're in the van, like, you know, she, she talks about, you know, sort of the decision she had to make, you know, I, I wrote you so many letters, but I didn't have any place to send them. I couldn't live like that. Like it was like that thing of like, you know, and she even says like, I was waiting, I was waiting for you quite a while and maybe there's even part of me that will always be waiting for you and like that's a whole you know yeah. other aspect to it but but like at the same time it's like but that's not me now mm -hmm. I was waiting for you like this isn't and I think I think we can see throughout the episode some of that reversion a little bit too like you know the whole like I'll take the less confusing waffles like right. this you know like the whole she's trying to figure out what it is she wants and and even when she's talking to tara she's like you know sort of not wishy-washy but genuinely does, just doesn't know like yeah. what is it that she's looking for at this point and and what is you know um i i'd really like that line where you know she says um you know life was starting to get so good again and you're a big part of that and it's like like she acknowledges and and this is like sort of the first time willow like you know it's one of those things it's like uh their relationship so far is kind of that quintessential we're not going to put a label on it you know what right. i mean like and and but this is willow kind of putting a label on it this is this the label is good this mm -hmm. is good what we have is good and the, that you know you're a big part of that and and i like that there's sort of the implicit comparison there to her and Oz's relationship, mm -hmm. you know, between her and her. Life was starting to get so good again, again. she says. Yeah. Like, you know, there, it's that, it's, it was good, and then it stopped being good, and now it's starting to be good again. And, and that's because of you, not because of Oz. Not, you know, like, this is despite Oz. This Oz has gone away, and I'm not waiting for him anymore. And, yeah. And now things are good again. And, and then he comes back, and it's like, well, this is weird and confusing, but... Yeah. Bottom line is she doesn't have those feelings for him anymore. So, um, well, and and it anyway. things 
which, you know, just kind of makes you realize that things are good in their own time and in their own way. You know, that having something good now with Tara doesn't contradict or undermine the good things she had with Oz. But yeah. Oz coming back doesn't mean you can just sort of revert back to the old good way that things used to be because that's over and it's different now and even if you wanted to the past is the past and things have changed mm. you know and so like you know so you kind of get her stuck in this dilemma where she's sort of on the one hand seems like she's presented with two equally good alternatives but you know has to kind of realize that they're not equal anymore because the one thing is something which isn't really there anymore you know like to go to go back with Oz would be to kind of try to live in the past and reclaim you know something which just would not be possible anymore I think right yeah which is sad because that doesn't mean that she stops remembering that or having those feelings, you know? Um, right. So. Well, and and that's the thing too, is like if she hadn't ever met Tara, then maybe Oz would come back and there would be, right. you know, something there, which ultimately given what we now know about, you know, that the, the pain and anger and frustration can bring out the werewolf like that may have ended up being more dangerous well, in the long run. I w I had that thought had occurred to me was like it's almost one of those cases of like serendipity that, you know, oh what a shame that his anger got triggered. But actually, better you know this now <laughs> and yeah. and know it up front and not have anyone like, you know, get seriously hurt, you know? Um right. better they find out this way than that the two of them are a couple and then in some other argument, you know, he changes and does some serious right. damage, you know? Right. When they're living together and, right. you know, alone in bed and no exactly. one else is around kind of thing. Yeah. Um, or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, Oz leaves pretty much now. <laughs> pretty much now. Uh, and so I don't know, now I'm back in the position of not knowing whether he'll ever be back again. Okay. I don't know. I, and, and I mean, I we've, won't... we've seen other characters who I thought, who I didn't necessarily expect to see again have popped up. So. Yeah. It wouldn't surprise me. Um, but. I, I won't say one way or the other. So, yeah. Okay. But yeah, I mean, it. It would be silly to ever write a character completely out of the storyline. Yeah. But at the same time, we also know that Seth Green goes on to have a fairly successful career in other media. So yeah. it wouldn't necessarily. Yeah. Won't expect anything. Yeah. However you choose to interpret both of those things that seem sort of contradictory, <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, you may do so. Um, anyway, the, uh, well, okay, so Oz comes and goes, and we get 
so sort of the outcome right of of the crucible that is this episode Mm -hmm. uh is that willow and tara yeah not only end up together but end up publicly together yeah this is um well and like seriously together like you know there are declarations of love at the end you know so some some pretty serious commitment going on um yeah yeah. and now publicly to the scoobies or at least to buffy at least to buffy Buffy. which i mean yeah it's only a matter of time i i like how they do that like you could you know how you can see willow sort of being determined about it like yeah it's complicated because of Tara. Yeah. <laughs> like that's, it's very straightforward and matter of fact. And she's kind of like, yeah. Now, what do you have to say about that? <laughs> like, yeah. Um, and yeah, I also, and, so, and unapologetic, like she's kind of dismayed when Buffy shows a little bit of hesitation. Like, like it's not yeah. the kind of, she's not saying now I know you're going to freak out, but don't like, she doesn't try to like talk her around to anything. She just yeah. sort of like, wait a minute, you're freaked? Like, kind of telling her to get over herself a little bit. Um, yeah. And, and of course, the irony of Buffy sort of chastising Riley right. for yeah. his own uh, reactions uh, to Willow and Oz. And I really like how they... Yeah, you get, like, the unconventional relationship. Yeah, uh, they get yeah. the parallel yeah. of, of that sort of thing. Um and of course, dancing around the fact that Buffy herself was in a right. unconventional relationship, uh, yeah. you know, and all of that sort of undertone. So, well, yeah, um, like when Buffy's saying, like, uh, trying could ostensibly defending Oz and some demons, but talking about like evil things that aren't evil, you know, and you know, maybe some vampires, you know. And then, at, right. you know, name one. And then at the end, you know, she's like, I have to tell you about my past and you're not going to like it. And it's, it's like there's a big angel-sized elephant in the room, you know, through yeah. all of this. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, I, I think I like how they make the different parallels mm-hmm. of that work. Um but specifically about Willow, yeah, like, it's not, you're right, like, I like that she doesn't try to mitigate or, you know, sort of soften the blow for Buffy or anything, like, because what, there isn't a blow there, it's just who she is, and and even she, like, I feel like it's also that, you know, new confident Willow, like, <laughs> we're, we're also, you know, sort of getting her saying out loud sort of the the things that she's been thinking and feeling because like even in the last episode um you know we had you know the where the wild things are we had like the whole like she put her hand on Mm -hmm. tara's leg and but then there was like the spirits who kind of like yeah made tara jump up and stuff but so like it's not like we didn't see this coming and you see like the whole like cat thing at the beginning where you know talking about getting a pet together like right. i mean you know yeah i want i want my room to be willow friendly and like right. that guy. like i mean it's all been sort of that playful kind of yeah okay you can sort of see where things are heading but at this point they could just be becoming really good friends you know what i mean right. like it there's no declaration there until you get willow saying and then even even with um 
when Willow first goes to Tara's room, mm-hmm. right after Oz comes back, I guess like the next morning, right? It's after um, Tara comes by and doesn't see Willow, but sort of flees from Oz. Right. <laughs> and then has, um, you know, Willow comes over and is like, you know, saying to her, you know, Tara's like, well, you know, I'll still be your friend. Like sort of assuming that she's going to go running back to Oz. Yeah. And Willow's like that. That's not even a question. Like, of course, we're like, we're pretty much beyond the point. Like, of course, we're going to be friends. Like, that's not even it. It's but then she doesn't go on to say, well, then what what's the question? The question is, who are you going to be romantically engaged with? You know, and that's but like they never quite get around to stating that. So I feel like when when Willow does sort of say that to Buffy and has that, you know, sort of coming out moment or whatever mm-hmm. you want to call it. Like it's 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 also her sort of giving voice to the the things that she's been feeling but didn't quite know what to say about it before. Yeah. And almost like she had to have I mean Buffy is her best friend. So like it's almost like she had to have that impetus there to 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 make that statement like it's not something that she almost could have said to herself in a way you know what i mean yeah yeah it's interesting because i feel like so much of it like you know like you said like it's either been really flirtatious but not explicit or it's been like hugely metaphorical or like with innuendo like the way they practice magic and like it's all been so far like nobody's just come out and say what is really going on it's they're all sort of like talking except for faith (laughs) i just thought of faith she's the only one who sort of cuts through it um and gets right to the meat i guess but like everyone else has been sort of just sort of dancing around the issue but like that makes sense for willow's character you know that she yeah. would be that kind of, um, you know, hesitant about her own feelings and, uh, you know, and I think, like, you know, partly because she's that's who she is and she's sort of a shy person who doesn't necessarily have the confidence to voice out, you know, exactly what's going on with her all the time. But also, I think, hesitation because of the breakup with Oz. So there's a kind of, like, you know, there's something kind of comforting about getting into a relationship, but kind of maybe pretending that it's not really what it really is, you know, that she can kind of hold it at a slight distance. Um, Mm -hmm. But, yeah, by the end of this, that's gone. Um, Like, it's been sort of confronted out in the open. Um, yeah. Both to, to Oz and to Tara and to Buffy, too. So, mm-hmm. yeah. No, it's sort of official now. Right. Um, and, of course, there's always that callback to Doppelgangland where she says, I think I'm kind of gay. Right. Like, right. <laughs> um, Skanky and kind of gay. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Uh so yeah, so that's this funny. Is, so, I assume now in hindsight that that was uh, planted there. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I wonder when I they knew uh, 
what direction they were taking Willis. Yeah, I don't. I don't know exactly if they knew. I would be. I mean, because Whedon did tend to plan things out, mm-hmm. but I. I don't. I almost feel like that might be one of those moments that's more of a like a Russell T Davies moment. Like a retcon, of a, we're just yeah. yeah, we're just gonna throw this in there and if we use it later Yeah. Great. If, if not, not it's, it's just a great a, line, yeah. It's a funny line to just sort of, you know, do whatever. Yeah. Um but I mean I do know of other things that have been alluded to that are coming up that mm-hmm. haven't occurred yet, you know, so that were indeed planned. We talked a little bit about Dawn even. Like Right. And and you know, just because you already sort of know a little bit about her, like I feel comfortable mentioning that. Um, it may be that a similar thing, ha- you know, we didn't may have known in season two that right. in some future season, even if he didn't know it was going to be season four, because, you know, we I, I don't, I mean, like, I don't think we knew that Oz was, right. or that Seth Green was leaving the show back in season two at right, that point. Right. But, like, it might have been at some point in the future that would become, you know, an issue uh, that they would deal with and that, you know, would develop into uh, a part of Willow's character, so. Right. Interesting. Um, yeah. But I'm not, I'm not 100% sure on that, so. Yeah. We shall see. But I think, you know, at this point, like, like you said, like, there's been sort of a lot of innuendo, a lot of, you know, stuff kind of floating around out there about what their relationship is and and who's this new friend in Willow's life Mm and um now there's less innuendo there like like, the thing I was just thinking is um (laughs) in a weird way it's kind of a relief because for the purposes of podcasting having everything be like in innuendo makes it kind of hard to talk about <laughs> like because i feel like i want to uh stick with where the characters are at any given moment you know like i don't yeah. even if i know uh you know that i mean obviously i don't want to do that with doctor who because i don't want to give stuff away but even with like buffy with things that it's like okay i know or have a strong hunch that you know the plot's going to go this direction I want to try Mm -hmm. to stick with an episode and see, like, what's in the episode. So it's been kind of, like, difficult being, like, you know, okay, they're doing magic again, but are they really doing magic? You know, like, you know, so it's kind of, like, whew, to kind of finally come to the culmination and have, you know, people acknowledging what's going on is... (laughs) Right, right. It's funny. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I definitely... Understand, but it's interesting that. that only Buffy does know at this point. I'll be, I'll be curious to see because you know Buffy has her kind of momentary Wiggins, as she calls it, like where you like, you know, thirty seconds of kind of not knowing how to react before she kind of, you know, gets herself together and uh, right, you know. But I don't know what kind of Wiggins Xander will have or or right. Giles, you know. Um, that might be. Yeah. Giles would be cool, I think. But I don't know. Like, I don't know necessarily what to expect. Well, Giles is, Giles Giles is, is just, your, 
He, he's European, so. Well, there yeah. you go. <laughs> uh, yeah, no. But, uh, but I don't know necessarily what kind of reaction to expect from Xander, so. Right. Um, and I'll be interested to see that. There's a much longer and storied and complex history between Xander and Willow, even yeah. than between Oz and Willow. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, you know, especially, you know, given the whole, that's, you know, what caused him and Cordy and Oz and Willow for temporarily at least to break up and yeah. all that kind of stuff, you know? So, so yeah, there's, there's definitely. Yeah. It's more complicated. It is definitely more complicated. Uh, perhaps, maybe not. Maybe not. We shall see. Yeah, I, I should be ready for Joss Sweden to just subvert all my... Ex- like, because I'm waiting for, like, you know, him to kind of not, you know, to yeah. freak out. Maybe he'll be, like, totally unsurprised and say, like, well, you know. Right. He's known all along or something. I don't know. Um, Who knows? And uh, we can't we can't finish talking about Willow and Tara without mentioning the extra flamey candle. <laughs> <laughs> I, I laugh every time I hear that line, uh, but it's it's fun. It's it's you know. Anyway, That's uh, so yes, well, where to go on from here? So, um, well, I wanted to go on to Riley and Buffy next. I mean, we kind of talked about his reaction to, you know. Uh, Willow dating a werewolf being kind of similar to Buffy's reaction to Willow dating Tara, but um, I mean, I guess the other thing too is like the further breaking down of Riley's initiative mindset and prejudices, you know, so you get them kind of having a fight about whether or not he's being a bigot by, you know, uh, which he kind of is. I mean, it's like, alright, think about it. Like, vampires are one thing demons are one thing but like at least in i mean there are different types of werewolves in different stories but at least in this version this is kind of like the one monster who really legitimately it's not his fault (laughs) like you know it's like where it is that kind of metaphor for like a disease like it's kind of out of your control and it's something you have to sort of live with and yeah, it's dangerous, but it's not about his choice or his willpower. Um, so, you know, I guess kind of a good one to have Riley fi- kind of finally confront some of those prejudices that he has. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, and and I mean, there's always sort of... We've talked before, too, about Buffy sort of recognizing the different uh moralities i guess of demons like Mm -hmm. there's you know even like with the you know back at the um end of season three or leading up to the end of season three where like you know you get the demon who wants to sell these books you know to make some quick money to go out of town it's like she's like he's not gonna he's not here to like kill anyone he's just Yeah, like, he's a little sketchy, and how did he get these books, and he's asking for money, but, like, we're not dealing with, like, a murderer right. demon here, you know, kind of thing, and fate, you know, and 
it's funny because like yeah this is sort of like fate's thing too it's like no he's a demon he needs to die and yeah and we see these you know we see similar i think we've gotten to the point in buffy and certainly we'll see it in angel as well where we we start to see these even more and more sort of fracturings of like yeah what does it actually mean to be a demon and like is there you know well, I think at this point we can already sort of answer that question, at least from Buffy's perspective, that there definitely is different levels of goodness and evil and that there are some that are worth pursuing. And, that, you know, it's like the whole idea of like mortal versus venal sin kind of, you right. know, like that there's that there's this idea of, yeah, like you have people like, Spike when he, you know, before he had the chip who was out there for the chaos and mm-hmm. the murder and the mayhem. But then you also have the people who are like Spike after the chip, <laughs> you know, where he still kind of gets a thrill out of it. But like the most he can do is sort of petty crime. Like right. he's not really, he's kind of a minor annoyance, right, you know, right. but it's not like he's uh, a big threat kind of thing. And, and so... With Riley, I mean, we've talked, uh, I mean, we've seen already how he's sort of been pulling away from the initiative and stuff. And they bring it up, you know, his, the colonel or whatever here brings it up explicitly. You know, since you met Buffy, you've kind of not been the good little soldier. Yeah. And it's, you know, and this is the irony, right? Because Buffy is totally looking at him as being the good the little good, soldier. Right. But... It's well, it's like we when we first, when he first sort of somewhat broke from them, you know, because mm-hmm. of Professor Walsh and everything, where, like, he spent that whole episode torn between the two, and it's like when he's with Buffy, he's defending the initiative, and when he's with the initiative, he's defending yep. Buffy, and so it's like, you know, he still hasn't, you know, totally made up his mind, and it's almost like that weird reverse thing of when I'm with one, I can see the viewpoint of the other. So he's like constantly arguing with whoever he's with. Well, and and there's also an element kind of like the, you know, I can make fun of my family, but you can't. Right, right, right. right, You know, to it. Yeah. Um, But I I can make Irish jokes because I'm Irish or whatever. Right, right. Uh, And there's like, I think there's um. You know, I think there's something to well, I, and I was gonna say same thing that you just said about like, yeah, when he's with Buffy, he's you know defending the initiative, but when he's with the initiative, he's defending Buffy. But I think there's sort of a parallel between what Riley is going through in this episode to what Willow's actually going through in this episode hmm. of the the old relationship and the new relationship, right. like, and and. You know, it's been going on longer for Riley because it's, you know, it's kind of, like, been more gradual. Yeah. Because there wasn't one that, like, went away and then came back and, you know, whatever. But it's, you know, I think this is his episode where he's saying, sort of like Willow is saying, that she couldn't live that way anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, like, this is Riley coming to that grip of, I can't live this way anymore. And like Willow sort of making that declaration of it's complicated because of Tara, you get Riley making his declaration of, if I leave now, I can't ever come back. That like, was my is... favorite part was when he says that and Buffy just kind of looks at him. He's like, 
I just wanted to hear that out loud. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. and that kind of realizing, like, okay, that wasn't, it wasn't really a question, but, like, that wasn't, it was, like, a rhetorical statement. Like, yeah, there's that brief pause of, do you want me to try to talk you out of this, you know? Because, mm-hmm. no. And he kind of realizes he doesn't want to be talked out of it. He's, he was right. just sort of voicing something that he already He's already on Buffy's side. He just has not acknowledged that yet. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I think, like, it's easy to criticize someone for being a bigot and stuff. But there's also the sense that, like, that's how he was born and raised. And it might be a crappy position. He doesn't position. know any better, yeah. Yeah, it might be a kind of a crappy position. And we would like to think that people can rise above that thing and become better people. And in a way, this is him doing that. But right. it's like, you know... We, we say we want people to do that, but then then it's like if they don't do it immediately and on our own conditions, like we kind of criticize them for that. And I feel like yeah. that's what Buffy kind of is doing at the beginning of this episode before she has her own right. temporary Wiggins and right. realizes that maybe she needs to be a little more lenient with Riley and let him go through his process. Yeah. Uh, you know, that, that she kind of has that attitude of him, like well, you're not exactly the way I want you to be and therefore I'm angry with you and you need to change immediately into this person I wish you were. (laughs) Well, in her own understanding of the degrees of of the shades of evil has been a gradual process too. Like, you know, she didn't necessarily start season one with, you know, that much of a nuanced worldview, I think. Yeah. You know, so... You know, her kind of realizing it is a gradual process and, you know, where you are is sort of relative to other people. You know, Riley learning something today that he never knew before means that he's going to be in a slightly different space than Buffy, who's been living with this for the last four years. Right. So. Right. Um, And to Riley's credit, you know, it's easy to kind of hear, okay you know, werewolves are, you know, nice people and Oz isn't dangerous, but like it really takes seeing him, you know, to bring that home. And once he does, yeah, Riley kind of realizes pretty quickly that Oz is not dangerous, you know, and that this yeah. isn't his fault. And that, and that he, that Riley was wrong yeah. in sort of the way that he was assessing it. And I think when you contrast that to with how the rest of the initiative deals with it, they don't care. Right. That, you know, Oz right. isn't, the fact that Oz is most, you know, is human most of the time doesn't even register. He's still a demon and a monster. And yeah. so, so you get that sense of like that. Uh, that uh, Riley actually does have a much like you said, like he already is on Buffy's side and he already does have a much more nuanced view of good and evil than even he realizes in mm-hmm. it. And, and it takes that, you know, bringing it out consciously to sort of, you know, make him make that decision and that declaration that he does. Yeah. Um, and also, like you get the sense of that, like later, so when, you know, at the end when they're sort of, in his new hideaway. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, Buffy's like, oh, you know, quite a day. Woke up to a big bowl of Wheaties and now you're a fugitive. <laughs> and he's like, you know, I'm sorry I had to end that way, but I'm glad it's done. Almost like like he knew it 
he knew it was coming. He knew there was a decision he was going to have to make. Yeah. And that even if he didn't, wasn't sort of conscious about, you know, playing devil's advocate. And I don't even know that that's the right term. Like he wasn't even really playing devil's advocate. He was actually advocating for the other side in, you know, each of those instances. But, but I feel like, like he, even in the midst of doing that, he knew that he would have to make a choice. And he probably, if he wanted and chose to think about it, knew which choice he was going to make. Mm -hmm. Um, So like sort of admitting that at the end that he's glad it's over is is good i think like this is yeah you know so back to like the title new moon rising like i think this episode um obviously is clearly about willow and oz but i think just as much we see parallels there with buffy and riley Mm -hmm. and and sort of riley being the one who now has to make this new decision about which way his life is headed to yeah and so now he's on the run, basically, right? Like, yeah, he's. he's hi- I mean, they, he's hiding yeah. out. He's, they, you know, he's not. And and Mister, you know, military planner guy is gonna worry about tomorrow when tomorrow comes. Like, right. this is gotta be kind of freaking him out a little. You would think, like, but you know, yeah, he's made his decision and and he's gonna stick to it at this point. I think. Okay. Well, uh, speaking of people making decisions about their lives, I want to spend a couple minutes on Spike and Adam. (laughs) Okay. Um, And I don't know that I have a ton to say because they're very cagey and we don't really hear exactly what the plan is. But um, Adam, who's been recruiting, who's been suspiciously quiet um, recently... Uh, which Giles kind of says makes him like more nervous than anything. Um, right. But he's been, we know has been sort of recruiting vampires and demons to his cause. Um, and so he and comes, uniting and uniting them. Yeah. Um, so he comes to spike and, <laughs> and spike is kind of about to try to kick him out or intimidate him or whatever. And, very quickly realizes that's not going to happen. Um, and yeah, we don't, so let me put together what we know here, um, which is not a lot, but he says, I'm, I want you to come with me. You're going to help me with my problem and I'm going to help you with yours. Um, which I take to be, uh, you know, the chip, you know, getting, you know, maybe taking down the initiative, getting the implant removed, whether Buffy and the Scoobies are included in that problem, I don't know. Mm. Um, yeah, it's kind of all hinted at yeah. there. Um, so, so th- okay, then off screen, he tells Spike whatever plan that he tells him. And uh, sa- he says that he doesn't want all the humans dead. I'll be needing heavy casualties on both sides. And I'm sitting there thinking, what? <laughs> okay. What yeah. sides? Um, what are the sides? Why does he need casualties on both? So is he not fighting? He's maybe going to set up some sort of fight between two other people when there's expected to be... Like, I don't... 
I don't have any real good theories. I was just thinking like, hmm, this is more, this is different than like, he's much more manipulative than some of the other big bads we've had. Like where they've just sort of said, I'm the master and I want all earth to become hell, you know, or like I'm the mayor and I'm going to take over Sunnydale. Like they just sort of, you know, are the bad guy and want to, dominate whereas he seems like he's setting something up that maybe he's not even gonna i don't want to say like not take part in but like the fact that he's talking about sides and what he wants the outcome to be it seems like he's sort of gonna try to like manipulate some sort of catastrophe rather than just be destructive himself i guess yeah um well okay so it's a good question and i think i'm glad you outlined that first because i think i would have made some assumptions there so what what do you think are the sides that he's talking about well i mean to me the most obvious is like humans versus demons but i don't know that if that's too obvious, you know, cause we have, so we have the initiative. So it could be some sort of initiative versus what, I don't know, initiative versus demons, initiative versus Scoobies, um, initiative versus regular people. I don't know. Um, well, because sure. he, he does say that, Buff, he needs Buffy to lead the side, the humans. Right. So, okay. That implies to me, I think. Demons versus that, humans. That it's humans versus demons. And obviously, I mean, I know what's going to happen. So <laughs> I'm not trying to lead anything. I'm trying to say, like you said, like, I'm trying only to say, what do we know from this episode and what they actually say? Yeah. And that's, and he does say that, that he, that, Yes. You know, he says the humans will need a leader. Yeah. And that he expects Buffy to be that leader. And right. then he tells then he tells Spike, you know, you should maybe be on her side. Right. So, Which I'm thinking is some sort of sabotage. Like, you know, you go in there and pretend you're reformed. Which Spike does. Um, you know. Right. And to a and certain legit- extent. Well, legitimately helps them too, right? Like, I mean, well, he right. doesn't. This is this is the if if that's correct in what he's doing, like he hasn't betrayed them yet. He's no, but this led is, them in this and is the helped setup them get for out. the betrayal. <laughs> yeah, I mean possibly. Like I mean but we also know I mean we have to go back to season two here. He came to Buffy and mm-hmm. said he doesn't want the world to end because Right. He you know, likes happy it. meal Happy Meals on Legs. Like, right, this is, right. y- you know, he he likes the cushiness. So if if we have heavy casualties on both sides, what does that mean? Like, yeah. how heavy? Are we talking Sunnydale? Are we talking California? Are we talking the world? Like, right. you know, how big of a conflict are we talking about? And, and where does Spike, where does that leave Spike? Okay, it might get the chip out of his head, but... Yeah does it leave him in a comfy position or not? And that may or may not decide what his ultimate actions are. Right. 
Right. Yeah, spikes out for numero uno. Yeah, definitely. And and if he sees an opportunity to get what he wants and screw Adam over, will he take that? Right. You know, as much as he would do it for, you know, screwing Buffy over mm-hmm. or, or any of the Scoobies. Like, so, but, you know, I, I, I like Spike here, too, because we're, you know, again, like we're seeing his manipulation, right? It's, I mean, the assumption is, and I think, I think you're right to make the assumption that, you know, he's just trying to get in their good graces but nothing he says is actually false either like he does you know right news news does travel fast in the demon world and he does learn things about how to get into the initiative from those who got out and he does hate the initiative guys and want to see them get screwed over too so like like this isn't exactly like he has to pretend a whole lot, you right. know, for any of right. this either. So. Well, and maybe he hasn't even decided yet. Like, I mean, Adam did, did just sort of barge in and, like, you know, all big and scary and kind of tell him what to do, you know? So that doesn't necessarily mean that Spike's decided to ally himself with anyone yet. You know, he may be kind of doing what he's told, but keeping his options open a bit, you know? Mm-hmm. Um yeah. So yeah, we'll see. You never know with Spike. So. Yeah. So yeah, I don't. You know. All of that is still sort of up for grabs, but I, you know. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. And Willow says, "You do sort of look like an evil olive," <laughs> which was kind there of you, true. There you go. And parts of Adam were a Boy Scout. And parts of Adam were a Boy Scout. Oh. All right. Well, so, I don't have a lot for Xander and Anya and Giles. I don't know if you have anything important. No, I just, <laughs> I love, I love Anya again. I mean. Yeah. Everybody's uncomfortable now. Yeah. Like her statement of the obvious that just makes things more uncomfortable. And, yeah. and the slap my hand now. In celebration. In celebration. Yeah. And then, of course, Giles does it too hard and yeah. she gets hurt. Uh, <laughs> it sort of gets upset at him for doing yeah. that. So, anyway. On to dinosaurs. Dinosaurs. On a spaceship. Yeah. So. Yes. I asked you before we started if you actually liked this episode. <laughs> <laughs> And you said yes. I said yes. That it, you said yes that it's grown on you. Yeah. So did you not like it as much the first time then? Is, I mean, that's the assumption that I take away from that. I, I don't think I've ever disliked this episode, but um, I think it's grown on me because sometimes the... Um, I don't know. This isn't a hugely deep or important episode, but mm-hmm. sometimes with the funny or sillier ones, like when, for example, we go to like prepare for our podcast and like are trying to write notes and think of things to say, you know, occasionally it's like, okay, well, it's fun, but is there that much to say about it? Um, and I don't know that there's a ton of hugely profound things to say about this episode, but. 
I think each time I've watched it, I've realized, like, it's actually, there's more going on than, you know, there might appear to be on, like, the first watch. Like, you know. Sure. And, and again, like, I don't want to set it up for, like, I'm not going to have any huge, like, earth-shattering conclusions or anything. But, like, it actually keeps itself fairly busy. And, um, like, between just, like, you know, kind of silly moments and then, like, I don't know. It it busies itself with little character things. Um, so, like, I just find it more rewatchable, I guess, than some of the others. So I think that's why it's grown on me is, like, it's not just, like, okay, fun, but once you've seen it, that's fine. But, like, it actually, I enjoy the rewatches of it, I guess. Okay. Um, and right. there are, like, specific things about it that I like. There are specific things which are maybe a little too silly or that I do find a little annoying. So, um, yeah. And I mean, I don't mean to apply that. I dislike silliness, but I, I feel like this is, so, you know what it, I, I, I just sort of thought of this as, as we were, as I was listening to you talk and as I started talking mm-hmm. that, um, what, what I said to you before was that I felt like this episode kind of winks at itself mm-hmm. a little too much. Like, Hey, look, aren't we funny and clever? Mm-hmm. Um, and there, so I feel like that's similar to like what J.R.R. Tolkien talks about in on fairy stories about why he doesn't like certain kinds of quote fairy stories mm-hmm. in, in, in that, like you get the sort of the reading over the children's head, like right. the, the wink, wink, you know, we're adults. We really know what's going on here. Uh, thing to it and i feel like they're maybe not the whole episode but i feel like there's a fair amount of that in this Mm -hmm. maybe that's just me maybe you know yeah i don't know i mean i'd like to ask some kids what they think i mean i feel like anecdotally this is a popular one with young with with kids you know and i think because it's so visual like the dinosaurs look pretty good you know, for yeah, for a sure. TV show, it's like, you know, I feel like if I was a kid and I watched this, I was obsessed with dinosaurs when I was a kid. So I would have liked it just for that fact alone. Now, Fair enough. there are certain elements to it that I can definitely, like, I don't know whether this is what you had in mind, but like, the joke about the golf balls. Yeah. Like, stuff like that. Like, you yeah. know, kind of... That I could definitely see being a bit, uh, a little, a little bit smug in it. Like, oh, we're being a little bit off color, you know, with our jokes, but, but we want to keep it yeah. kid friendly. So we're going to undercut it with, the, you know, I can kind of see what you mean by that. Yeah. And, and the, I mean, I'm not a big fan of the robots in this episode. <laughs> um, no. Yeah, well, they're not that funny. Which, no, they're not. You know, and I, I guess I they're not like really they're... meant to be. They're kind of supposed to be big, dumb, Douglas Adams-y kind of. I kind of wish yeah. they were actually funnier um, well, than they were. That's what I mean. You, you definitely get this. I mean, there's. it seems kind of obvious. Uh, maybe maybe this is more critfic or not, but it seems kind of obvious that they're going for the Douglas Adams yeah. type, uh, you know, funny but in a sort of downcast mm-hmm. 
British way, right. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, sort of thing. But, you know, and but but they also they also come off sort of like. Tweedledee, Tweedledumish, uh-huh. like, and not in like a good way, <laughs> like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I just they they're very. I think again, it's it it's more of that like, oh, we're gonna make these robots and they're gonna be kind of weird and sassy and uh, rusted out, so they're not very good at what they are supposed to do but i don't know it just doesn't it just doesn't all sort of work Mm. i don't know it also might just be because i'm american and it's a british show and sometimes (laughs) that just happens like well but i feel like i watch enough yeah i think i think like i think we're both enough of aficionados of of british humor that you know you know when it's actually being funny um yeah Douglas Adams, like, they are not. Um, even though like that's the, so. yeah, I I think that is kind of what they're going for, but they're just not. And I kind of almost put that down to their rustiness, like the fact that they're kind of don't work that well anymore. Maybe they used to be funnier, and then now they're just sort of <laughs> stupid. Like the their fact brains that have rusted yeah, out like I don't. Maybe that's just me making excuses for it, but I always kind of took that as like. You know, they're kind of just, they don't just work, they don't work very well. And they don't work very well as, like, a double act either. Um, No. It's all sort of just, you know, like, they're the least funny thing in the episode. Even though, Mm -hmm. like, the stuff with the Doctor and, you know, the dinosaurs, like, some of that is funnier than what's with the robots. So, you know. I kind of always took that as part of their lameness, but um, I don't know. So, so you know, I don't. It it's not my favorite episode. Well, and so I, far this season, I I will say <laughs> of all two of them, <laughs> exactly. Um, I so like like two really quick production things. So this is Chris Chibnall, um, who mm-hmm. wrote Forty Two and. Um, okay. And the first Silurian two-parter. Um, right. Which was not my favorite either. Um, sure. He's, I don't think, no offense to Chris Chibnall, he wrote Broadchurch, which is pretty freaking good. Um, but, sure. So he's a good writer, but I don't think he's anybody's favorite Doctor Who writer. <laughs> but, gotcha. um, but, so this is the one I see picked most as like the best Chris Chibnall episode. But really? but I will say I feel like it's one of those episodes that you either love it or hate it because there are some people who you'll see them like say they absolutely don't like this one at all and then other people who say this is my favorite, it's the epitome of everything that's great about Doctor Who. So you have this like really divided like you know. Yeah. This philosophical divide between like whether you like this. so I feel like I'm kind of on the fence like I I lean towards more I really like it I don't think it's by any stretch one of the best you know but I mm-hmm. but I like it um and 
again, saying it's the best Chris Chibnall episode is not necessarily saying a whole lot. Um, but I, the other thing I wanted to mention too was the thing I mentioned to you, which was that the, again, going with uh, the like big, bold movie poster style season, you know, last week we had like the Dalek Asylum, you know, and, you know, and even just the idea of putting, you know, a surprise cameo in from a future companion, like, you know, being really sort of bold with your ideas. Um, sure. This week, uh, the, the brief which Moffat gave to Chibnall was dinosaurs on a spaceship, and that was it. So he said, here's your here's your title, you know, write me an episode for the title. So this wasn't, uh, this doesn't excuse anything if you don't like the episode, but it's not necessarily a Chibnall idea. It was like something that he wrote to the brief that Moffat gave him. Maybe sure. kind of realizing, hey, we can do really good CGI dinosaurs. Why not take advantage of that? Um, right. So, uh, anyway. I think... Yeah. I think it, it kind of goes for it. Um, it sort of doesn't hold back. So I feel like maybe that's why people either love it or hate it. Like it either hits you in the right ways or it doesn't. So there's kind of no sitting on the fence, really. Yeah. But um, but we could maybe, you know, yeah, we'll, we can we'll talk, talk about, about some specifics. <laughs> Um, rather than just sort of continuing to beat on it, uh, beat on a drum anyway about it. Uh, so one of the other problems I had with it, okay. to speak of not, not beating on drums about it, um, I didn't, I don't know that I really understood the reason for the extra companions. Um, other than to get Nephi there so that right solomon could has something her. to to trade for um yeah well nephi sort of invites herself along so that's, that's no I, I know i mean i mean from like a writing story perspective like like i get that she invites herself along and then the doctor goes and picks up riddell who like okay big game hunter so it's nice that he's on a dinosaur spaceship but the doctor doesn't know that it's going to be a dinosaur spaceship so like why is he inviting him specifically right. you know what I mean like that sort of thing so anyway well I mean I think uh, you could kind of wonder a bit about uh, Amy's question about are they the new us you sure. know um, now I don't think the doctor is intending to make Nefertiti and Riddell the next like permanent traveling companions but you know i think you could maybe kind of put a you know that's maybe a good question is we're seeing um the doctor having kind of a hard time speaking of people you know going back to the Buffy episode, people trying to decide whether or not to move forward or to go back. You know, I think we have the doctor kind of torn about what to do about the ponds that he's, you know, decided towards the end of season six, that this was getting a little bit too 
dangerous, a little too intense, you know, maybe wanting to kind of keep them safe, give them a bit of a break, back off a bit, you know, so he drops them off. Uh, he, they have the whole thing with his faked death, which he didn't even tell them that he faked it, but they found out on their own, you know, goes back just for the Christmas dinner, but, you know, doesn't really invite them on board again after that. And then last week we saw, you know, in the pond life, he sort of isn't inviting them to travel with him, but he's sort of dropping in occasionally, annoying them, leaving them messages and things. Um, and then the Daleks pull them in, you know, for an adventure. Um, so I kind of read, like, you know, going off and, you know, I mean, we see him, like, interact with historical figures all the time, so it's nothing new, like, we've seen him with other queens and stuff, but you kind of get more the sense that, like, he's actually had adventures with Nefertiti and Riddell, like, right. they've actually right. done some stuff, um, and that, like, right. Riddell's actually kind of been waiting, <laughs> kind of like Amy, like, hey, you said you were going to be back, and, you know, that was a long time ago, right. and you didn't come back, so, I, you know, when... When Amy says, I think you're weaning us off you, I wonder if it's not the other way around. Is he weaning himself off of them instead? Sure. Um, so from like the writerly point of view, that would be my justification of it. That's maybe crit-ficking. Whether or not that's what they had in mind, I don't know. Um, maybe yeah, they just well... wanted Nefertiti there so that Solomon had something to trade for, but um, the other thing too. Was and see that—that's—that's that's my problem with it. Is that like I can I can almost see what you're saying, where like okay, these are two people that he's had other adventures with, but yes, he's gone back and met other queens and and other famous people or even historical people, whether they're famous or not, mm -hmm. but like they haven't really been companions and had adventures with him that we know of anyway. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like he talks about going back and seeing Queen Elizabeth and yeah. potentially getting married or whatever. But like, there's, there's no sense of like, at least not that I remember, I could be wrong that, there's no sense of like that he took her and they were companions for, you know, right. adventures and that kind of thing. And so, you know, oh, and even like, you know, uh, in the, in the Christmas Carol episode, right. Where mm -hmm. it's like, you know, fine, I'll get married to Marilyn, you know, and like, right. Uh, you know, but it's not like he's inviting her onto the TARDIS. It's like, just because you two are too busy making out and I can't like yeah, get you to look up for 10 seconds so we can leave before I have to go through with this thing. So, you know what I mean? Like there's, and you know, he's on, uh, what's her name's bowling team. Uh, Virginia Wolf. Yeah, Virginia Wolf. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I'd like literary figure. I can't remember who it was. <laughs> um, anyway. So just like, like those kind of things, like we don't, we don't ever get the sense that these sort of like famous historical people are nest are really companions. Right. Maybe, maybe sort of incidentally within a particular episode, right. they might go into a tart, the TARDIS once or whatever, like 
Van Gogh, you know, like you get right with that, but like for the most part, you don't see. So I guess that's the thing that feels off to me. Well, and that's like, why I say I don't think I don't think they're replacements in the sense that he means these people to stay with him like the pawns did. Yeah. But I think I think I'm seeing them as kind of like you know, they're the pawns patch, you know, while he's trying to quit them. You know, like sure. there's kind of a a, t- a bit of an attempt to um enjoy find some other people to have adventures with um now he kind of gives in and goes and grabs the pawns anyway you know um you know which is kind of kind of why i want to emphasize the fact that this is like a halting process that this has been going on since the god complex that he's that's when he first drops them off you know at a house i mean if you want to go back further than that he you know they they left the TARDIS and got a house after they got married too. Um, so I, my point being like, this is like a long thing where there's like, he's on the one hand intentionally trying to distance himself. And on the other hand, incapable of doing that. Um, Mm -hmm. and that each time he kind of says, okay, this is the last time and this isn't, you know, you're still alive and I want to keep it that way. And um, he keeps coming back and keeps sort of not, he can't keep, stop himself from getting that involved in their lives and getting them involved in the adventures. So that would be my sort of, so you end up with this weird sort of hybrid of like ponds, but also like, other people, you know, who aren't normally there. Um, yeah. Well, all right. And so the other thing with the gang, I mean, hello, what about when he went and like collected all the companions at the end of the Davies era there, you know, right. like, well, you had a pretty good sized gang at that point. Well, yeah. and it's, uh, it, he had gangs in the classic series too. Like there was times, I think the fifth doctor, at one point had like three or four different companions at once. Um, yeah. So it's not an accurate statement. I think maybe this, but even this doctor's had a gang, like surely river and the ponds count as a gang too. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Anyway. Um, all right. So enough, enough with all that, I guess. <laughs> Fine. For whatever reason, we get Riddell and Nefertiti, uh, and the ponds mm-hmm. and Brian Williams and Brian. <laughs> there's we sh- there's got to be a way to make a meme out of this. <laughs> um, the uh, so they're all there. They're in the uh, spaceship. So backstory of the ship turns out it's a Silurian ship mm-hmm. that. We already knew that they were, like, highly advanced technologically. For some reason, they left the Earth. I I take it that they know whatever it is that wipes out the dinosaurs is coming. You know, whatever, whether that's a meteor or something. Right. Or a Ice Age or something. So they're, you know, making this arc to try to preserve the species. That's, that's yeah. how I understood it anyway. Yeah, 
so they leave they leave the earth with all these dinosaurs and plants and whatnot and um somewhere out in the galaxy they run into or universe mm-hmm. they run into solomon mm-hmm. who kills them few by few mm-hmm. uh and takes over the ship can't get it to work right um Apparently the Silurians must have been traveling for a long, long time. <laughs> because, yeah. I mean, we're talking millions of years here if we're talking dinosaurs. Yeah, and even with like relativity, that seems like a bit of a stretch. It seems like a bit of a stretch. And the robots have only been around for two millennia. Mm. So, like... It seems like the Silurians should have found a planet By in then. those millions of years. But, you know, maybe not. It's a big, wide universe. Yeah, I don't have a good explanation yeah. for that one. Um, no, it, you know, whatever. That's fine. And then, so, uh, yeah, they, somehow the ship gets turned back around, headed towards Earth. And this is where we're... Well, it, it where we meet it. It automatically sort of gets right. No, rounded back to Earth, right? Right. So, but like the fact is that Solomon can't control. No, is what what we what we're told. So, and he's a collector or a trader or whatever, mm-hmm. trying to make a buck, basically trying to sell his captured wares. Um, and it seems like this. This means this would not have been the first time he's done this sort of thing, probably. Right. Um, that it's likely what he's made a habit out of doing. Um, I, uh, I, I do like David Bradley. Perhaps he's one of the things that I do enjoy about this episode too. Um, I, one. So one of the other, one of the other reasons why I sort of get the wink wink mm-hmm. smug feel is because I feel like in a way this whole episode is set up for the uh, line of you know Solomon never trust in it, uh, an African queen or something like that mm. like uh, you know with the whole like biblical Solomon queen of Sheba kind of stuff yeah um, I mean, okay, yeah, maybe and, not the entire episode, but like the like given that that's sort of like the climactic moment, of, you know, with yeah. Nefertiti knocking him out, and then the doctor saying that it's like, okay. Well, and the other thing, another criticism which I've seen, which I probably would, uh, you know, not want to contradict, is that there's some unfortunate anti-Semitic <laughs> like aspects to Solomon's character, so it's like. You kind of wish, oh man, if you just changed the name, so much sure. of that would be cleared up, you know? Um, I, so, yeah. Uh, I like David Bradley's performance, though, is mm-hmm. what I would say. Um, he plays a good, pretty good sleaze. Um, but, um couple interesting things between him and the doctor that I want to make sure we point out one being um the the part where he scans the doctor for his worth um Mm -hmm. and finds that the doctor's has 
you know, no identity, you know, so he's, the doctor says, that's me, worthless. Um, you know, being kind of a, again, with this idea of stepping back into the shadows, that he's faked his own death. He's decided to sort of, you know, not, you know, be so big and noisy as he was. And then last week we saw Oswin erase him from the memory of the Daleks. So now, yeah. again, conti continuing this kind of theme of the Doctor kind of being uh, not, you know, not someone that everybody knows sort of on site by reputation, um, that he's sort of become a little bit more mysterious, I guess. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I like... I do like that line where he goes, yep, that's me worthless. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, you know, this let's sort of gloss right over all of that. Like, right. Because there, the only value Solomon puts in anything is monetary. So, I mean, there's also the idea that something that doesn't have a value is actually invaluable. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like that there's, that there's this, that there's yeah, a priceless. You can't aspect. put a price on the doctor. Yeah. Right. Right. Like that it's, you know, he, he plays it up as worthless, but it may be that, you know, there isn't a price because there, you could never pay enough, yeah. you know, for, for that kind of thing. So, um, the other thing I want to, uh, make sure we talk about between, Solomon and the Doctor is uh, the ending, because um, I think it's kind of shocking. Uh, the the kind of that he sends out Solomon yeah. to get killed. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I was, that's I was pretty, a little taken aback by that. Actually, yeah, that's pretty cold for the Doctor. Um, and like, we, I mean, we've seen him kill, and like, that's it's not so much that it's that. And it's blow this, up spaceships. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's more... And thinking, trying to, like, okay, why is this different? I think because it's so deliberately avoidable. Like, you feel like most other times what the Doctor would have done is send the missiles off to the other spaceship, but keep Solomon with them, you know? And then right, right. do whatever, you know, hand him over yeah, to whatever authorities or justice he wants to you know give him to the indian military or whatever and say this is the guy who is or or you know dump him on a planet somewhere whatever you know um yeah. but the fact that he like deliberately leaves him in there you know to get blown up um that's like a kind of a new level of you know yeah Maybe not totally no, unprecedented, but pretty rare that we've seen him kind of be that ruthless, I think. That's definitely a good a good point. I mean, I, I guess the closest thing I can think of um to that is when uh you know, him and Donna and the Arachnus yeah. are sort of you know, and, and she's there to sort of pull him back uh in that moment. And here we don't have anyone who pulls him back. Right. Uh, so, yeah. I I agree. I was not necessarily expecting that. 
I can't say I'm upset about his doing it, but I sure. do think you're right to to point it out, especially since we get the idea that, um, you know, in the beginning, you know, he says to Indira, is it? Uh, is, that, is that her name? Mm-hmm. The the Indian woman. Uh, he says, you know, oh, I, you know, I liked you before you said missiles. Right. Like, you know, like that, that there's something disapproving about it, but then he ends up taking advantage Pretty of the fact that there are these them, yeah. missiles. The, the sort of, the, I guess the thing that I would say there, so this is my turn to sort of pick it, mm-hmm. um, would be that like, he gives Solomon plenty of warning. You know what I mean? Like right. there's missiles coming, there's missiles coming, there's missiles coming. And then it ends up being, okay, fine. You want to escape in your little spaceship. You're going to take the missiles with you because it's your fault. Yeah. Kind of that this is happening to begin with. Well, and um, you know, the doctor's actions aside, I think Solomon is one of the more brutal villains that we've had. Like, you know, sure. he's, pretty nasty pretty irredeemable he just kind of goes from like you know one bad action to another and they get progressively worse you know like so yeah like he definitely you know the doctor gives him more than his customary two chances or whatever you know like you know um yeah it's kind of um like the doctor's given him many opportunities to you know. When, you know, when, I mean, you see immediately when he, uh, you know, he's like injured the old one. Like, you know, it's like, it's not even like, he, first of all, he specifies the old one. Like who injures the old people first? You know what I mean? Right, like, right. And then like that he does it basically without prompting. You know, the doctor simply asks him a question. Right. And it's like, okay, that's pretty rude. But then also you get the explanation of how he you know, killed all of the Silurians. Right. And there's no hint of remorse or anything. Uh, and and very clearly, you know, later demonstrates again when he shoots the Triceratops and or has the robot shoot the Triceratops. You know, like he's very he's very willing to use any and all force necessary to yeah. get what he wants as quickly as he wants it. Um, so Yeah, and even like with Nefertiti too like you can see he's not just an opportunist he's also like a sadist too like it's not just like okay I'm gonna go for the best price and you know pursue that no matter what but I'm you know gonna kind of enjoy it while I do um so yeah you know like you know I don't think the doctor is unprovoked, you know, like Solomon goes pretty far towards pressing all of his buttons and then some. Um, Well, and it becomes, it becomes then a reflection of their own, you know, the, the, of his own cruelty. You know, it's, it's not, yeah. It's not that the doctor is doing this cruel thing to Solomon. It's that Solomon was doing these cruel things and the doctor is, responding appropriately mm-hmm. you know to the situation um so yeah yeah like i said i don't necessarily feel bad but i think you're right that there's definitely there does seem sort of 
a ratcheting up of the doctor's yeah uh, handling of the situation in this instance. Yeah, at least his willingness to sort of mete out that justice himself, I think. Yeah. Um, the other thing I want to mention, too, maybe to counterbalance some of the issues with Solomon, is the fact that I like that the 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 country that's under threat isn't Britain. <laughs> it's like refreshing. <laughs> like normally I don't, sure. I don't mind that because it's like, all right, look, they do shoot it there. You know, like it, it makes sense. I don't think it's that big a deal, but it's nice occasionally when it's like, Oh, <laughs> it's India under threat this week, you know? And, yeah. um, it's nice to have some like multicultural flavor. Um, anyway, I mean, it's just it's, a nice it's, little touch. It's still Anglo-India. Yeah, exactly. Well, this is speaking, yeah. <laughs> right. Um, but it's the, just uh, nice to have, like, something a little bit different than London, I guess. Yeah, well, and I guess, I mean, the idea is that it's, like, the whole, right? Because, I mean, this is a huge Well, it would ship, threaten, right? like, so it, yeah. It's, like, the entire world. Well, it's a significant portion of yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, I guess you'd be looking at another, like, Ice Age or something or whatever, yeah, Whatever damage sort of the meteor did. Cataclysmic. Um, so yeah, like definitely. Yeah, no, that I think you're right. That is that is good that they do sort of have it out there outside of British walls, so to speak. Um, moving so I guess moving on to anything else about Solomon or Robots and dinosaurs and Silurians. Uh, I mean, the dinosaurs. The dinosaurs are nice, like you said, visually. Mm -hmm. Like they did, they did actually do a good job. And you get, you know, okay, your pet dog, Triceratops, mm -hmm. you know, thing and all that. And then sort of the having your cake and eating it too by getting to shoot all of the, right, you know, with the stun Tyrannosaurus guns yeah. or whatever they were with the stun guns, but it doesn't actually kill them. So right. you're still able to kind of hold to your whatever beliefs you might Morals, have. But, yeah. um, <laughs> uh, so yeah, any, any sort of final thoughts about any of them? Like, I don't, I don't know that. No, like, no, the gimmick, I don't think there's a the gimmick of the dinosaurs on the spaceship. I mean, yeah, it's, it gives Solomon a point to sort of be there because they're rare and he can sell them. But beyond that, again, I don't know that there's a lot to say. No. No, I think um, we can move on. So then we get to Amy and Rory mm -hmm. and Brian. Mm -hmm. um, I like that they pulled in Rory's dad. Yeah. Uh nice to sort of because we don't we haven't really heard anything about his family no, up to this point no we don't know anything about um, rory's family and not that we know a ton about amy's family but at least we've seen her parents yeah you know before now um so yeah kind of yeah and makes sense you know they're still in little town england mm -hmm. and you know it makes sense that rory's dad would just be right nearby to come over and help with the light fixture if yeah. they need it. Um, kind of funny, though, that you do have to call your dad over to, like, change the light bulb, which is <laughs> what Rory thinks, you know, is the problem, at least initially. So, uh, 
but yeah, I mean, it's obviously a sort of excuse, but I like, I like that they, I like that they did start off sort of showing that they're, you know, very different. Like, you know, Brian's very much the handyman and he, you know, who who doesn't carry a trowel with them, (laughs) you know, and, and like, he has all these little gadgets and, and tools and stuff with him at all times. But then you get, you get to see like Rory sort of shining. Right. So he's, he's sort of being insightful and the doctor's praising Mm -hmm. him for it. And, um, and then you later see that he has his pockets stuffed full of nursing things. And he's like, well, now you get to see my awesome nursing skills. Like, yeah, you know, I may not be a handyman, but this is actually what I can do and what I'm able to do well. Um, Yeah. You get a sense of like Rory-ishness from Brian, but he's still different. Like, you know, in some ways, like, you know, yeah, like his pockets are stuffed with things, but just different kinds of things than Rory. But also like, He's kind of, he's a bit more, I mean, he's older, so it makes sense, but, like, a a more exaggerated version of, like, Rory's kind of stay-at-home-ishness. Like, you know, he gets really, he, like, when he freaks out on the beach about, you know, the fact that they're in a spaceship, and, um, you know, Rory says he gets really anxious traveling. Like, he only goes to the paper shop in golf. Like, you know, but you know people yeah. like that who just like never oh, yeah. ever travel. They're not interested. Never done it. Um, but which you know, I never. I don't think we knew that Rory was ever like that necessarily. But certainly he was the less adventurous of the two. That he right. went traveling because Amy wanted to go traveling. Um, right. So you can kind of, but like. I like that how gradually over the course of the episode Brian kind of loosens up and becomes one of the pawns by the end. Like so he's sure. <laughs> which he's not any kind of pawn, but he's the pawns. He gets put under that, you know. Right. Under right. that label. Um and like, you know, the the definitely one of my favorite moments ever is him sitting with his feet dangling out of the TARDIS with his sort of sandwich and thermos looking at the earth and so you get like kind of the best of both worlds like you get his kind of contemplative you know he just wants to sort of sit and be like he's not looking for excitement really but still with the kind of joy of the TARDIS life and everything um Mm. so what he really wants to do more than anything is just sit in the TARDIS with his tea and look at earth um it's sort of a nice compromise between the two yep yep so yeah and and so that's good and i mean obviously there's the gimmick there of you know oh you need someone with the same blood you know same gene chain or whatever they call it to you know to uh fly the ship so that pilots you know that works out well but um and I'm glad they didn't like resort to having like River there or something. You know what I mean? Like right. you know to be like the other. I one. mean, I hadn't thought uh, of this earlier when we were talking about like why are these characters there other than the writer needs them to be there too. But the other thing we shouldn't discount is the TARDIS itself. You know, who again, you know, just like she takes the Doctor where he needs to be. I think maybe 
picks the right people for the mission. You know, maybe when the doctor wants to include the pawns, she sort of makes sure that Brian is scooped up in there so that you have yeah. two of them there to fly the spaceship or whatever. You know, like, I think you can also kind of, you know, maybe that could kind of explain some of why Nefertiti and Riddell are involved as well, so. Sure. That could be an explanation. Um, and then, so with Amy, um, and so you get you get them split up now, right? And you get, like, these, you get, like, two groups of, like, right. the companions and, and the doctor and his, you know, the, the Williamses. And um, I like, well, one, I love that Amy calls herself a queen. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. yes, I, I am. his queen. <laughs> uh, and then, like, <laughs> later when she's like, don't tell Rory, I'm, I said I was his queen. Like, I'll never hear the end of it. Uh, no, but that that's that's all fun. But you get you get like it's funny because I mean I mean Amy's been traveling on and off with the doctor now for several years, mm-hmm. right? Like so it's like um but you get this sense of like she's still not entirely sure what to do mm-hmm. when she's like out there, but like but like now there's a comfortableness to it, mm-hmm. right? Like there's and and I mean she was never like like it took like going way back to Rose, you know, it took her sort of a little while to get to the point where like she was sort of running off and doing her own thing. I mean, Amy, it took less time to get to that point, but, but you know, it's kind of funny because now it's like, she's like, well, I've spent enough time with the doctor to know when you enter somewhere, you press buttons. Like, it's like, okay, that's really (laughs) always the best plan. (laughs) Just, start randomly pressing things and then, well, don't stop at pressing buttons. Like there's more to it. So it's like, I mean, you still get the sense that she just has no idea what she's doing, but then the doctor half the time has no idea what he's doing or maybe more, more than half the time. So like you do get the sense of that. There's just like, yeah, you know, it's, we'll try this and see if it works and see what happens. And I take that comment kind of flippant too. Like, you know, like, yeah, she does do that and start pressing buttons. But, like, like you said, like, the more important part is the don't stop at the button pressing. Like, you know, it, it, I don't think she means that that's what she's learned from the doctor necessarily. But, like, she does have kind of the confidence now to sort of take the lead and be sort of doctorish and does figure out, you know, between the three of yeah. them, they figure out what happened um and are able to piece it together i think with the doctor too we always need to remember and it's easy to forget sometimes but we always need to remember that he does have this sort of vast store of knowledge and that he doesn't really like to share things with people Mm -hmm. so like when he says oh i'm just pressing buttons like you can take that at face value but there might be sort of complex bits of information and calculations and logical chains Mm -hmm. being thought about as he's pressing these buttons like you know it may not actually be as random as it seems and so i think with amy i mean we know she's intelligent and you know has been with the doctor a while whatever like this may be her 
sort of acting like the doctor and saying, oh, you know, I know when you enter a room, you need to press, press buttons. buttons. Yeah. But, yeah. but that doesn't mean she's not, like, quickly thinking about what are the right buttons to press. Right. Like, there, yeah. there definitely may be some That's what I think, like, more calculated moves going her, on there. Her comment there is more uh, light than what she really means by it, I guess. Um, like, yeah. she's not going to get into... A big explanation of what she's doing. What are you doing? I'm pressing buttons. You know, that's what the doctor mm -hmm. does. Um, so, right. right. So yeah. it's and not even like... like her manner, like the way Karen Gillan plays it. I think she plays that up to try to be a little bit doctorish. Like some oh, yeah. of the way, like there's a little bit of a Matt Smith kind of quirky swagger and everything. So I think she's kind of playing around with like. So part of being the doctor is acting like him. Um, so, yeah, um, I think, so I think the line about pressing buttons is part of that. Like, it's that kind of calculated flippancy, which, you know, isn't necessarily exactly what's going on, but it, like, kind of shuts up the companions long enough to, like, <laughs> you know, sure. to get on to the next thing, I guess. Um... But so with Amy and Rory, what we need to end up talking about here for the last bit mm -hmm. is uh, that they decide not to continue on with the Doctor. So now this is, we've gone from the Doctor sort of deciding for them mm -hmm. that that it's time for them to be off the ship to now Rory saying, yeah. actually, we're going to go home mm -hmm. for a while. Not forever. And and I don't want to discount this sort of conversation between the Doctor and Amy either. Mm -hmm. And I like I like that. It's like, why do we always have these conversations, like, in the midst of, like, yeah. life-threatening situations? But, um, yeah, you do get this, this sense that there's, there's some soul-searching going on here, mm -hmm. sort of amongst all of them, not just one or the other. Yeah. And that it's, it's... You know, it's been 10 months since they've seen them, and, and Amy, you know, refers, uh, like you said earlier, you know, to the potential of the Doctor weaning them off of him. But, like, it's also kind of, like, if that's what's actually happening, it's also kind of working. Because mm -hmm. it's like, now they they had their adventure for the day, but it's time to go but home. That's they want to sleep yeah. in their own beds. They want to be domestic again for a little while, yeah. you know, and and... Right, yes, yeah, so you're getting yeah. this kind of, just like the doctor kind of is trying to stay away but kind of can't help himself but keep going back to them. You know, you have them who kind of are getting more settled into their, you know, normal lives, I guess, but but also feel this pull that they, like Amy says, I can't settle. Um, you know, that when last we saw she was modeling, um, and... Mm -hmm. You know, the doctor says, how's the job? I gave it up. You gave the last one up. So I don't know which was the job before the last one. Like, what was she before the model? Or was she something else in between? We're not quite sure. Uh, you know, but in any case, she's had a series of sort of false starts, I guess, towards a career. Um, at worst, you know, I guess more than a career, just kind of stability. Um, mm -hmm. But she can't settle every minute I'm waiting for that stupid TARDIS. Um, so, you know, and then the callback to her 
theme. I can't not wait for you even now. So, you know, this idea that can she ever really settle and have, you know, I guess in quotes, a normal life with the idea that the doctor is still out there. Um, and if his gaps keep getting longer, is the worst wait going to come when he never shows up? You know? Yeah. Talk about waiting. <laughs> well, and it, it, it goes back to what we talked about when we first saw Amy with the whole sort of Peter Panish yeah. theme, you know, to it of, you know, there is going to be that point where, you know, he doesn't come back mm -hmm. and where she's ever so much older than 30 yeah. and, you know, like, yeah, not ready to go off on that sort of adventure again. Um, yeah. Yeah. Or simply just moves on, you know, like when, when Peter comes back and, but he comes back for the granddaughter and he kind of forgot that Lindy was really ever the one, you know? Um, yeah. Like, I don't think, Amy's in danger of being replaced by Nefertiti, but like there's some of that jealousy there when she says, are they the new us? Like, are you going to go yeah. out and find some replacements for us? Um, yeah. There's some of that worry there. Yeah. Well, and, and that, that whole sense of, you know, was the doctor say like, Oh, you'll, you'll outlast me something. And she's like, Oh, or the other way around. Right. And, like, and he's like, huh, like, don't joke about that. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, but that's actually more accurate. Yeah. The doctor is gonna. More I likely, mean, yeah. He's way older than her already, and, you know, chances are he'll be around much longer than her life will last. So, yeah. uh, you know, it's not not unprecedented. No. Um, that that will happen. And, and certainly with other companions, we've seen, you know... Uh, with Sarah Jane mm -hmm. and, you know, like others like that there, you know, they do end up waiting, but it's always for a time. Yeah. Like, you know, and then suddenly it's like, it's not worth mm -hmm. the wait any longer. Yeah. So not that I'm saying that that's what's coming, but it's just, rather it's like, sort of. Rather like Willow and Oz, actually. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know that's. <laughs> Definitely uh, something along those lines there. So, all right. Well, any final thoughts on dinosaurs on a spaceship? Um, the only other thing I wanted to mention was the, another classic moment of when the uh, the Doctor kisses Rory, um, and then kind of slaps him for getting him, you know, getting his hopes up. Um, that's a bit of Matt Smith improvisation, which is kind of a legendary thing. Whenever anybody brings up Matt Smith's kind of improv on set, they always sort of mention that Arthur Darville was not prepared for that. And so they had to do like a second take where this time I'm not going to laugh because Matt Smith just sort of went for it. So, yeah. Um, that's fine. You know, him kind of... Which kind of ruins it, the impromptuness it of does, it. It you does, know? it does. Well, I think he ruined the first one with a a lot of laughter. Um, yeah, but no, at I least mean, the idea obviously of it. you have to yeah. redo it, but yeah. The idea of it. So I guess just further, you know, Matt Smith kind of pushing and pushing on the boundaries of 
how ridiculous can you get this doctor to be? Um, sure. You know, how big can he go, I guess, so. Certainly is ridiculous. <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, we will come back next week with more Doctor Who and another episode of Angel. All right. See you then. Thank <laughs> you.